This past week, I came across a name I had never heard before. George Lyle. Maybe you don't know about George Lyle either. He was born in 1752 here in Virginia, a slave. By 1777, he was living in Burke County, Georgia. How he got there, I'm not sure. I'm sure it wasn't first class, however he got there. I don't know whether his master moved to Georgia or sold him, but at any rate, by 1777, he's living in Burke County, Georgia, and began attending at his owner's encouragement a little Baptist church there where he was converted and it really took. The slave owner, his owner, was a deacon in that little church and encouraged George because he seemed to have speaking gifts, he encouraged him to preach to the other slaves, which was unusual for a slave owner to do. But George began to preach to the other slaves. The owner, whose name was Henry Sharp, was himself an unusual guy, as you have already determined, in that he encouraged a slave to go to church and preached to the other slaves, he set him free. Henry Sharp was one of those guys that I really would like to have visited with if we could enter a time machine and go back. Because for all of these wonderful qualities, there was one thing I don't understand about him. He was a Tory. He died in the Revolutionary War fighting on the wrong side. But he did some really good things in that he set George Lyle free. And George Lyle, after the Revolution, began a church, started a church in Savannah, Georgia. By 1782, this church in George had developed a burden for the people in Jamaica. So he was sent as one of the very first, if not the first, Baptist missionary to leave America for a foreign field. He started a church called the Ethiopian Baptist Church in Jamaica. Well, that's all I know about him, but it was enough to cause me to think. Why is it I'd never heard about him? Was it because he was black? I don't know. But here is a man that we certainly need to know more about, I think. 
We've heard about Anne and Adoniram Judson, who in 1812 went uh, to the foreign field. And as I began to think about all of this, it occurred to me, missions has always been in God's mind and in God's heart. To Abraham and to Jacob, God said, your descendants will bless all the families of the earth. The prophets continued to speak about the rest of the earth, the families of the earth. In fact, it came to be known that, at least among the Israelites, that they were God's chosen people, and they reveled in that distinction. God's chosen people. The only problem was, when they thought we are God's chosen people, they thought it meant privilege. And when God called them as his chosen people, he was thinking missions. The prophets continued to talk about missions. Jonah is probably the most well-recognized of the early prophetic missionaries. He was an unwilling missionary, but a missionary nonetheless. He was a missionary who couldn't quite understand how God could care about those Ninevites. But he did. God isn't limited by our prejudice. God will not fit himself into our expectations. And God's heart for missions continued until finally he stepped into human existence through Jesus of Nazareth, whose birth we celebrated, of course, just recently. And in human form, Jesus proclaimed the truth. God's heart for missions. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Again and again, Jesus emphasized God's desire to call all human beings to himself. And after his crucifixion, as the disciples gathered, he said, go therefore into all the world and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you as you go. And if that were not enough, the last thing he said to his disciples before ascending into heaven was, go, not only to Jerusalem, but into Judea, and into Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. 
You see the picture, don't you? And if we trace those disciples and those who followed them, we see clearly what is happening as God's heart and mind get poured out to the people. There was the Apostle Paul. Of course, we read something about him a moment ago as he was saying to the Romans, I, I want to come and see you. I don't want to proclaim the gospel where it's been proclaimed before. I want to take it to places where Christ has never been heard of. So he was planning to go to Spain and stop off in Rome to be refreshed and also to refresh them. Paul, in his letters to the Corinthians, both 1st and 2nd Corinthians, begins the letter by saying, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and he continues this in his first opening lines to the Galatians and to the, uh, not the Galatians, the Colossians and the Ephesians and to Timothy. He repeats this refrain, call, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. An apostle, we would say, is kind of a cross between a missionary and a denominational executive. Paul felt a kinship and a protectorship of these churches he had started, but, but he was a missionary at heart. God had called him to missions. And so it is through the years missions came to be on the march. By the year 100 Christians were reported in Monaco. By 208 Tertullian, a Roman historian, wrote that Christ had followers on the far side of Britain's wall, Hadrian's wall, we call it, on the far side of the wall, which marked the limit of the Roman Empire in Britain, on the far side of the wall where the Roman soldiers had never been, even there, there were already Christians. How did they get there? How did they believe? Someone told them. By 313, Constantine, Roman's emperor, had become a believer. By 338, Jerome wrote, from India to Britain, all nations resound with the death and resurrection of Christ. By 380, 
or in 380, the Roman Emperor Theodosius I made Christianity the official Roman uh, state religion. In 604, a church was reportedly, has been reported to have been started on Thorny Island. Now, you may not know where Thorny Island is. I didn't but it's where Westminster Abbey is located in London. 604. By 1000 AD, Christianity was accepted by common consent by Iceland's parliament. You see, Christ, through his people, has been on the march. In 1266, the Mongol leader Khan sent Marco Polo's father and uncle back to Europe to beg the Pope to send a hundred missionaries to Mongolia. The Pope responded by sending two, one of whom died on the way. But missions has continued to march more recently, of course. I've mentioned George Lyle in 1782, going to Jamaica. William Carey in 1792 began the Baptist Missionary Society. And I also mentioned 1812, Adoniram, and Ann Judson, along with Luther Rice, arrived in Serampore, with, with Judson going on to Burma. So down through the centuries, the march of missions has continued down to this present age. Those who were called to be missionaries in a sense of leaving everything behind and going specifically to share Christ and those who simply as they went conducting business or whatever they did, they were Christ followers and shared their faith. The missions movement continued because God has a heart for missions. We are all missionaries by the will of God. We are not all called to be apostles in the sense of Paul. As much as I would like to have entertained a vision of Christ as Paul did, that hasn't happened to me yet, but I am called to share my faith. Some have Holy Spirit-given gifts of apostleship, of being a missionary. I don't seem to have that gift, but my role and every Christian's role as a Christian is to share their faith. 
to be a spokesperson for Jesus, to share what Christ has done in our own lives. Not inventing stories, <laughs> that would be dishonest. And not making friends with unbelievers just to try to lead them to Christ, that would be manipulative. But being authentic with those around us sharing our faith. I received a call one weekday morning from Connie. She was a teacher at a high school in Newport News. She said that one of her fellow teachers' father had just died and they were still at the hospital. So I left my study at First Baptist Church, went to the hospital and began to talk with them. Connie had already shared her faith with her fellow teacher. She had not yet become a believer, but because of that intervention, Connie's sharing her faith and my coming at a time of crisis, she became a believer. And her husband, who had departed the faith, came back. And their mother, who was in her 80s, also became a believer. I had the privilege of baptizing her in the Jordan River on a trip to the Holy Land. We are called to be missionaries wherever we are. Faithful, authentic. Now those of you who know Connie know that she doesn't beat people over the head with her Bible. She's not that kind of a witness. But she's faithful. We come to this precise moment when the Holy Spirit is still whispering into the ears of our souls to take up our crosses and follow Jesus, to be his missionaries today. We have the opportunity as a church to hear more about CBF's plans to have encourager churches, encouraging missions. And I think that sounds like something we'd like to know more about. In the meantime, let's just commit ourselves to being a missionary where we are. People will probably never read our names in a history book. They won't know the kind of faithful missionaries we were, perhaps. But God will know. And we can pray and hope that there will be people in heaven because of it. 
they will 